everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 99, Divide and Conquer, recorded June 17th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Hey, everybody. Uh, happy post-Father's Day. We're recording this on a Monday night instead of Sunday, because yesterday was, in fact, uh, Monday, mo- mo- uh, Father's Day, not Mother's Day. Um, yeah, they they already had their day. It's our that, turn now. Did that one? I, I don't know uh, about you guys, but I'm a churchgoer, Seth. I know you are as well. And uh, yes. in in churches across the country, Mother's Day sermons consist of "Mothers are the salt of the earth. They're awesome people. Nothing could ever happen without a mother. You should all bow down and kiss your mother's knees right now." Father's Day sermons are always. Fathers are jerks. You don't spend time with your family. Because you don't spend time with your family, their prisons are full. Get up off your butt and be a better father. That's pretty much every Father's Day sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, I cannot close. disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mothers get roses, and, and the dads get punched in the face. <laughs> Go figure. Of course, so, Ira, uh, we uh, don't really have special sermons like that we just like whatever series we're in that's what we're talking about you know i like that i'm good with that um anyway uh don't have any other holiday fluff but that's why the things are a bit unusual if you don't listen live you won't know the difference because we're recording at the uh it'll be released at the regular time uh so it'll be still out on wednesday but we're recording a little earlier and just a quick um Side note, the audio from last week's show was kind of messed up. A, a, a concophony of things happened all at once. I ended up having to use my third-level backup recording. Ouch. Yeah. Um, and so if you were listening and you heard weird things that didn't quite sound right and pops and hisses here and there and, and weird R2-D2 glitches, trust me, that was after I spent a lot of time cleaning it up. It was just a... It was a chain link dominoes series of events where one thing fell and knocked another one down and knocked another one down. And every time I went to a backup source, it was gone. And then the next backup was gone. And the next back, that backup was gone. So I ended up, that one's actually two pieces together because my third level backup, I had stopped. I forgot to hit record right as we started. So like the first 15 minutes of it was missing. So I had to take part of another one where I had the first 15 minutes, but, but didn't have the end and put them all together. And it was nuts. It was a Frankenstein recording. It was. And probably most of you didn't notice, but uh, I did, and I wanted to point that out because I had gone through such a... (laughs) I spent like 12 minutes during that episode talking about how strict I was on sound quality, and I want to make sure I put out the best show possible, and I refuse to do a lower bit rate because it's all about the quality, and it was like the the lowest quality show I've done in years. So it it was (laughs) irony in motion. Definitely. Well, that's usually what happens when you mess with Moore's Law. <laughs> that was Murphy's Law at that point. Or Murphy's Law, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah, because we're go. not getting faster, twice as fast every 18 <laughs> months. Hey, you know, next Whatever. week is our 100th episode. So I think we should do Holy something smokes. totally different next week and wait till the very last minute and throw together a half-assed show. What do you think? That works. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'm game. I think we should have a, a listener feedback for next week or a listener show, and then like a, a spotlight on the listener. We haven't done one of them in forever. Well, that'd be cool. We need uh, we need somebody to step up, but you got to do it quick 
because you have six days just to for us to get that scheduled uh but anyway uh another thing uh more important than father's day was this weekend was the release of man of steel um and i just wanted this will be a spoiler free episode but seth and i have both seen it and we both agree that uh, if you like superman you should go see this movie definitely and chris okay. just i know you're kind of behind the times there this is not the one with christopher reeves they've come out with a new one so oh, when that one hits the theater oh, just you. know there's a different one thank you for clearing that up for me if you are <laughs> a fan of the christopher reeves superman if that if christopher reeves is your superman you won't like this movie because this superman came out of the comic books uh, it's not the George Reeves 1950s TV show. It's not the Dean Cain TV show. This is the Superman, and they did an Hallelujah. they did an amazingly good job of pulling from different sections of the 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 DC, the the DC canon all the way up to like the New 52. I mean, there were elements from the latest stuff in there too. But uh, it was, if you're a comic book Superman fan, um, you will not be disappointed in this movie. It, it's over the top and there's plot holes galore, but it's really enjoyable. It's just a visceral reaction. You'll enjoy the movie. I think the best Superman movie to date, and 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 I was a big fan of the Christopher Reeves movies back in the day too. That should be interesting. Yeah, I am a big fan of the comic books, so as long as they pay good homage to the comic book, I'll be yeah. all over it. See, I was a, I'm a Superman. The the way Aaron, you know, who used to be on the show, is about Marvel and in that universe. I am about Superman. He is, uh, he w- was part of my childhood, and 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 the character that I could most uh, uh, identify with and knew the most about. And none of the movies, and certainly, I don't even want to mention this most recent one with with what's his name, Crying Man, um, playing it. Uh, that the 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 movies that you know everything since Superman two really the the Christopher Reeve Superman has been crap. Smallville had moments, um, Lois and Clark had moments, well, but they when were it all shows on the air for fifty years. Right. Mark, it's gonna have moments. Yeah. I mean, golly, that show never it just wouldn't die. Uh, but this Smallville. is this is Superman. I mean, in all the nineteen forties era. Um, cheesiness i mean truth justice in the american way he's a he's a mm-hmm. um a full-on one-dimensional you know might makes right right makes my whatever you know kind of guy but also they managed to weave in this this um emotional sort of dark storyline uh, that is that's really phenomenal i think the way they put it together you have these two two parts of him the the truth justice in the american way guy and the I'm a freaking alien, you know, and, and he, they put those two together really well. Hmm. Yes, they did. Um, I, Zack Snyder, I read an interview with him. He said, we're really treating this like a first contact story. It's not a Superman story. It's an alien story. Um, and and it, okay. it, it, it really works well. And Kevin Costner, finally, a part designed for his wooden, emotionless acting style. It, it, I mean, it took many years for him to get there. But finally, a role he was designed to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> of course, I just thought of another plot hole, but I won't say anything. <laughs> yeah. So everybody go see the movie 
and afterwards, like six months from now, when we're sure everybody who's going to see the movie has seen the movie, after it's out on DVD, we'll sit around and poke holes in it because there's lots of <sighs> holes to be poked. Uh, what but, we need, you need to put like a pull up mark and say, have you seen the man of steel? And once that reaches a certain <laughs> number, then we'll have the man of steel episode. Or that what we really need to do is just have a, a separate episode called spoilers. Duh. And you know, that's the episode. <laughs> um, and if you're listening to it, you're an idiot because they're spoilers. Uh, the name of the title title is spoilers and just talk about all, all of our favorite movies. Um, and just, you know, riff on them. That would be great. That would be because you know fun. that is a lot of enjoyment of the film is talking about and bashing it afterwards. Some of the, like the, the 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 crappy Superman movie was an awful movie, and it's part of my life. I will never get back, <laughs> no matter how hard I try. But a friend of mine wrote this review of it, and. I have never laughed so hard in all my life, and it made watching the movie worthwhile because I understand all how he just ripped it apart. And so, you know, that made the movie enjoyable how much he tore it up in his review. So that's a very, you know, that's a valid point of movie watching these days. I was talking with somebody this weekend, and I don't even remember what movie it was, but uh, but he said, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I said, clearly you never saw Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. <laughs> that is the worst movie. That The Plan 9 from Outer Space is an Oscar winner compared to that movie. Oh, man. there's Yeah, I'm sorry. I won't even say it on the show because we're G-rated. But there, there's the worst movie. <laughs> oh, no, no. That one shall never be spoken of again. You've broken a sacred trust, Seth. By Uh-oh. even alluding to it, we swore Uh-oh. that that movie would never be spoken of again. Well, well now you, you know, have you to said think about it because all of us are left out of the loop. It just comes. To, it's an. It's been conditioned in me that that is truly the worst movie ever. No, Chris, and we so are doing I, I humanity a service by not mentioning the name of this movie because somebody might go out and find it on a VHS tape somewhere. And trust me, we are doing humanity a service by not mentioning this movie. Yes, we are. Let's just say we all do things in college we're not proud of. And that movie was one of them. <laughs> yes, it, it was. I, I, will never, I will never get those scars from my mind. <laughs> oh, okay. Moving right along. <laughs> Movies are fun. T-ball is fun, too. <laughs> yes how's that for T-ball a smooth transition great. um my daughter is being is starting her first year of t-ball slash softball so uh it's always fun to watch the very first couple of years of t-ball when they uh the ball is dribbled off the tee and then the entire team swarms the ball it, it's it's always it always makes me laugh but i have to say i'm sad to say though that we only have a couple more games and then the season will be over for us. So I'm kind of sad to see it go, but I'm glad I don't have to be out in the wind and the rain anymore. It's like my the, kids. Is the way they do it up there is uh, they load the bases and then just try to throw home every time somebody hits it because that's how they do it around here. Uh, no, actually what they do is the, every kid gets up four times. The first time they're up, they run to first base and everyone throws to first base. The second time they're up, they always run to second, you know, first and then second. And everyone throws a second, et cetera, et cetera, until you make it all the way home on your fourth time at bat. 
Nice. Wow. That's uh, that's weird. It, it's a little okay. weird, but, you know, if you think about it, the, the kids are all getting the same conditioning that, you know, that they can throw to first or throw to second, throw to third, throw home. And every kid is getting the same batting and running sequence. So it works for a T-ball level. Uh, once they get out of T-ball, then it doesn't happen anymore. But it's it's kind of it's nice to see it happen for the little little kids because these are four and five year olds. My yeah, kids, and we need to teach them early that life is totally fair. <laughs> My kids and played soccer at that age, and it was really just both teams chasing a ball. It was just this bunch yep. of kids in the middle of the field. The ball really never it would squirt out every once in a while, and then the whole bunch would go, and you'd have coaches yelling, "Stay in your lanes." passing remember defense the kids had no idea what they were they were all just trying to kick the ball <laughs> and yeah i coach around the here soccer the, league it's more it's more fun to watch the parents try to get oh go 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 oh, oh, stop, stop, stop. you know yeah. watching the parents react to their kids is uh is kind of fun actually it's uh it's a lot more exciting than the game if you don't have kids of your own so. my, my middle <laughs> child is incredibly fast she can run like like the wind, as Forrest Gump would say, and and she would the ball would be way downfield. She'd run down the guy with the ball and then not know what to do when she when she got there. She'd be just, okay, I ran you down. Now what? And she just kind of run alongside him until he ran to the goal and kicked it in. But she was right there with yeah. him. <laughs> she was a cheerleader. Yeah, a, a personal motivator. <laughs> uh, to this day, Ha-ha, I caught you. Yeah. She's still amazingly fast um, and loves to run. She she will say, Daddy, can I go out and run? Uh, sure. You go right ahead. Knock yourself out. So maybe, wow, maybe she'll be it. a sprinter someday. Um, saw something interesting on the way home today. There was a billboard, and it had stuff on it. And there's my attempt at a transition. <laughs> well, uh on my way home from work, there is a billboard that reads, do you know Linux? We're hiring. So um, if you know Linux, you can go to hostgator.com slash I don't remember what and apply for a job there. So we're, we're taking over. I haven't ever seen a micro a billboard that said no Microsoft. We're hiring. So apparently if you just know Linux, you can get a job. Oh, where's my job then? Gonna- damn it. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I've heard that hosting companies are really looking for uh, for people, and I've heard the HostGator in particular uh, do like radio ads, and uh, I think a Pandora ad. So, yeah, it's a it's a good time to be a friend of the penguin. More or less. Yes. All right, on to interesting tech news of the week, and uh, since we're a Linux show that likes to talk about Android, let's mention the iPhone first. No. Off. <laughs> well, no, Chris, you will like this because uh, some people in the Georgia Institute of Technology, so Mark, this is down in your home state. I'm surprised you haven't heard about this. They recently demonstrated how Apple's iOS powered devices can easily be infiltrated using malware loaded onto a charger. So they spent like $45 off the shelf components to build a charger for the iphone and it shows a picture of the iphone 5 um and then because apple doesn't secure their operating system with the auto loads when those things are plugged in they're able to load malware on it 
Now, of course, for this to work, it can't be the original, but how many times have people bought a second additional charger from somewhere, you know, at the at the dollar store or Wally World or wherever? So proof of concept could work. Yeah, you know, or yeah, you get one off of eBay or some company off Amazon because it's only a dollar and um and then you know next thing you know you've got some type of malware root kit on your device that is able to I don't know send text messages to 900 numbers and rack up large bills for you. I, uh, but uh I'm, I'm going to call shenanigans on that Seth. The, the yes you can you can sideload a device of an app. But the Apple iOS still has really stringent things on what an app can do inside a phone. I don't think you could put something on there. I'm just skimming this article, mind you. Uh, but I right. don't think you'd be able to put something on there that would be like a root thing. I just because root doesn't exist in iOS. Um, well, I don't know what it is, but it's you're not loading an app. You know, you are loading a. I don't know. They don't. They don't really say what it's called, and they're holding the crux of their presentation to the Black Hat Hacker Conference. So they just kind of talked about it a little bit. Yeah, I will. We'll definitely see about that. But I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking that this is probably um, much ado about very little, uh, as, as would be on the, uh, the, the Android OS too. Is there's, the, there's sandboxing there, and, and apps have to have to play by the rules now you can rom a phone but that's very different than just plugging in a charger and getting hacked um anyway yeah i I don't know what it is but i just thought it was cool i you know it never occurred to me to make sure i have a legitimate uh charging device for my you know tablet or smartphone um and again, you know, this is obviously some proof of concept they have and they haven't turned the code over and it probably what doesn't work in the wild because nobody knows exactly what it is. But I just I thought it was interesting. I am I don't know that I'm security conscious, but I keep a watch out for security stuff and go, oh, that's cool. So I wanted to share it because I thought one, it was just a really interesting story. Here's another interesting story regarding Seinfeld. Where did that come from? Cell phones. Um, Caterpillar. Yes, the company that makes bulldozers is getting back into the phone. Yes, I said back into the phone market. Caterpillar has made phones in the past, and they're trying to make one again. And what are they going to compete on? They're going to compete on size of the screen? No. They're going to compete on speed of the processor? No. They're going to compete on survivability that is important in this day and age i you know it's like tough books you know or ruggedized laptops that are you know they're more durable than the regular laptop and you pay the premium for that but in some professions that's required if you're in a profession that would drive a bulldozer like construction or whatever i could see we're wanting a more rugged laptop or a more rugged smartphone would be um something to get and so i love this line it says uh an eight core processor clocked at 1.2 gigahertz isn't worth much when it's broken right (laughs) that is a good line 
and it's capable of spending a half hour under one meter of water without trouble. And the screen is touch friendly when wet. So, you know, even though it's not a super innovative phone, th those are some cool features. You know, hey, you know, I don't want to have to, you know, air dry my hand for 30 minutes before I touch my phone to make sure I don't get any water on it. Uh, again, I, you or know, I, we talked about whatever that was, the free phone thing, and that generated a lot of feedback. So people, uh, so this was another interesting phone I came across and I wanted to share it with the Element OP world. The thing I was going to say is I wonder how well it would survive a dunk in the toilet. Because well, apparently it can go several meters underwater. Yeah, unless yeah. it's a big toilet. Most toilets aren't one meter deep, <laughs> um, at least the ones down here in the United States. The real question is, like do you want to reach in to salvage your phone once it's been in a toilet? Yeah. But apparently this one's big enough. You could like flush the toilet first and then reach in and get it. So. <laughs> it reminds me of the old the joke. Cycle. A banker drops a, a coin out of his pocket into the toilet and uh, looks down there and says, quarter. That's not worth reaching into a toilet to get out. So he pulls out a 50 and throws it in there. But $50 and a quarter is. And then that's funny i like that that's good uh speaking of things that you like or won't like um man my transitions are off tonight sorry guys comcast everybody's favorite internet service provider wants to have free wi-fi access all over the world what a great idea they just want to use your router to do it not such a great idea yeah you Mark, I think this story is going to make you want to go back to Comcast. Um, but yeah, so apparently, you know how most cable and uh, DS, you know, they will they will sell you the router or lease you the router, and so it's their router that you're just paying a monthly charge to for the privilege of using. So what they want to do is you'll have your router that you can set up, but it will also broadcast another signal that any comcast person can do and so it's just another way for them to monetize their equipment um and i can't really tell if uh it seems like they've kind of already started testing it um but they want to roll it out and just kind of make a service of you know hotspots, and because there will have an app that you can download and it will tell you where all the hotspots are so you know get comcast get their router so you your address can show up uh on their app i think that'll be pretty cool and uh then you can go around for 295 an hour and use its hotspots starting next month in july and uh you know i'm sure they're gonna say it's secured and it's a separate network and it's a built-in firewall and and you know naturally we all trust comcast with uh security and doing things right the first time. So I'm not worried about it at all. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and switch to Comcast just so I can open up my network to anybody who happens to be walking by. I think it's a great idea. And, you know, the thing is, I know I'm almost titled this, like, how to get your friend arrested on child porn charges. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they trace the IP of where that comes from. So you can go over to somebody's house for and for two ninety five you can download child porn and then uh, they'll get in trouble for it because it'll be traced back to their IP. Um, I you know I just think that this is a lot of trouble and if I had Comcast 
I would not use their wireless router. I would go to, you know, I would go online to elementop.com slash Amazon and find me some type of Hawking router that I really liked and set up my own that, you know, uh, government will have to use Prism to actually hack the uh, cable coming into my house to get access to my internet. Well, here's the thing, Seth. Having been a Comcast customer, that's not always an option for them. Um in some cases, they say, here's your box. You get it. Deal with it. Um, now, in my case, they told me it would actually be better to go buy my own router, and they charged me because I didn't. Uh, but I have heard of people say that, you know, in certain situations, it was just, here's your box. You know, like AT&T, I didn't have a choice. AT&T brought me a router. I told them I didn't want one. Yep. And they said, no, here's your router. But I've got a router. It's fine. You can plug it in behind ours. Here's your router. But I don't need a router. Yes, you do. Here's your router. See, the other thing you could do, Mark, though, is with AT&T, you can turn that router into the transparent bridge mode. Yes. And then you don't have to deal with their router's system. That's what I did. Yeah, I just have mine um, singing, broadcasting one IP address, and then I do the rest with my Boris box. Yeah. Um, and we were talking earlier about uh, learning Linux skills. Maybe a good time to do that would be in the summer, particularly if maybe you're a, a student and you don't know uh, uh, what you're going to do with yourself this summer. How about taking some summer classes over at dgplug.org? Uh, this is actually a uh, computer user group in India that they are trying to like um, – teach programming over the summer and i just thought it was a cool thing um and i wanted to uh, give them a shout out because you know i'm all about free stuff i love me some free stuff so if you want and you have good internet and you're like a night owl because it will be done in the india time zone you can go in and we'll stick this link up in the show notes and it's uh, just a powerpoint slide that kind of tells you about well i'm sure it's not powerpoint but whatever slide rocket they use i don't know you can go through and go through it and see if it's something you want to do, but they will do, um, there'll be video lectures and guest lectures talking about different topics. And it'll be kind of like a little, like an online university, but it's like not for credit. It's just, you know, for life enrichment and to teach you stuff. There you go. What what more could you know, uh, need to know about that? Um, We talked to you a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago about the fact that in, New Zealand. New Zealand. They've said yes. no more patents, no more software patents. German is, Germany is one step closer. Uh, the German parliament, known as Bundestag, has introduced a joint motion against software patents. Um, hmm. What a great idea. Once we get into Europe, as any student of World War II knows, once you can take Europe, the world is your oyster. So uh, let's see what happens. Well, you know, Germany is one of the top five economies in the world. So, I mean, great for New Zealand. I'm all for getting rid of software patents because they have their own level of hell uh, reserved for them. <laughs> but, you know, the German economy and the is big enough where if they say uh, we're not going to deal with software patents, then it's going to give more notice and more splash and give this get rid of software patents some good street cred uh i thought so i just wanted to share it because it was important to know 
that you really can't patent software. You can copyright it, but maybe you shouldn't try to patent it because you're an idiot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no fan of, of software patents, but uh, there are a lot of me- people making a lot of money off of them, so maybe they're not so idiot after all. <laughs> Speaking of idiots, yeah. how about SCO? Remember SCO, yeah. the people who claim they owned Unix? And, exactly. and as yeah, a result, Linux, back. IBM is still fighting this battle years later. SCO says they own Unix. And since they own Unix, they own all derivatives of Unix, including Linux. Idiots. Yeah, they. Uh, I was reading some commentary on this, and he said um, um, their assessment of SCO's current position is that it has asked the court for a time machine so it can go back in time and do a better job. <laughs> <laughs> but that is their... I remember when this lawsuit was uh, big in the news, the registers registers BOFH had a thing and it was just, oh man, I, I can't really talk about it because of what it covered, but it was hilarious and it did a great job of showing how utterly ridiculous SCO is and their claim on this. Of course, it's dangerous because if they win somehow, um, you know, and if, if the same people who, well, anyway, if they win, it is bad news for Linux. Uh, Unix is pretty much dying a slow death because it's expensive and Linux is cheaper. But, um, you know, if they own Unix, then they would own the same thing in Linux and it would be bad news for everybody but Microsoft and Apple, basically. Um, yeah, but see, here's yeah. the thing. And here's the, maybe there's a piece of this I'm not missing. Uh, I'm missing. But when Linus Torvalds wrote Linux, he didn't use Unix code to do it. He re- he reverse engineered it, so to speak. And over the years, that code base has been refined and refined, and many times over. And it's certified 100% free GPL'd. I don't I don't know how SCO could say they own Linux unless they go back to those stupid patenting ideas things. So I really think these two stories are are are, are correlated because um, surely after all these years, SCO can't say they own the code, but what they're going to say is they own the methodology, they own the ideas, they own the 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 um, interface uh, processes or something like that, and then you get right back to a patent lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, and it probably wouldn't be a patent lawsuit because. If they won this battle on Linux and they threatened to come after uh, Linux distros like Red Hat or Canonical or other places that actually make money off of Linux, then they would be pressured and look for some type of licensing deal. And so the threat of lawsuit then would produce them a licensing income stream. So that's the danger. Um, And then you have people who would be worried to develop on something with the threat of lawsuit. And then especially, you know, because a lot of Linux is done by armchair developers who, I mean, there's a lot of paid developers, but a lot of people also are just doing it on their free time. And I don't want to do something with my personal time that could result in a lawsuit against me. So it would hurt innovation as well. So they're really... I wonder if they got some money from Microsoft to try this, to try to kill the Linux Android juggernaut. 
Well, there's Just my conspiracy. Th- yeah, there's your conspiracy the theory going right there. That's your tinfoil yeah. hat. Um, speaking of things nobody cares about, remember that uh, whole open wristwatch thing that Sony did, the smartwatch. No, it's okay. Nobody does either. Well, because nobody cared about it, they decided to to open up some APIs and let you write code for it, so that maybe you'll care about it. Yeah, they, basically they dropped the price and no one wanted it. So now they're open sourcing it so they can sell their inventory and then immediately quit it. Much in the same way the PlayStation 3 could run Linux until people bought it. And then they did a firmware update and said, oh, it can't run Linux anymore. So Sony has such a great reputation with the open source community that they wanted to add to that reputation with their... um android powered smartwatch because apparently the three apps in the google play store were in such high demand that they want more of them out there hmm. um you know, I, I as a, as a, I don't know do you guys wear a watch anymore at all i do man i don't because when i buy a watch i also have to buy a wristband that and uh you know i just because my wrists are so big I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I used to love watches, but I used to love hats too, till like my head got too big and that's physically well, big and not just inflated with my <laughs> ego. It's always been that way. Sure. Sure. No, well, the reason I say that is because, you know, as, as a person who wears a watch at all times, um, mm-hmm. you know, having those and not carry a smartphone, some of those things are kind of neat to be able to have. Um, granted, I wouldn't get a lot of the use out of it, but it, it's kind of a neat little thing to have. Uh, I don't know if it's worth a hundred dollar price point, but it's still kind of cool. I can at least say that much. No, I think, you know, cause it would be cool to, if your phone is in your pocket and you get a text message, you can look at your watch and see like who it's from, you know, or some, you know, or if like your Facebook gets updated, you know, or somebody responds, you can see the first line of it and go, Oh, this looks important. Let me pull out my phone or, ah, that can wait till I get somewhere. So it would be really cool. You know, the whole wearable computer, um, idea. I, I think it's really neat. It just didn't take off. Um, uh, you know, because the, the rumored Apple phone has generated like umpteen billion times more press than the physically produced uh, Sony's watch. Uh, well, that, and watch, the uh, the what's the Kickstarter watch? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, that oh yeah, I remember was a big deal until people started getting them, and then it wasn't a big deal anymore. Um, I watches have their place, but I don't think there's much room for growth there until you get the Dick Tracy thing where you can talk to your watch. The, the the problem with watches is the display is too small to do anything but show you the time. Well, it looks like yeah. Pebble, um, Pebble Seth, watch. One of the one of the things that this, from what I'm reading on the site, that there is a thing in there that will read that will show you your text messages, emails, Facebook, and Twitter alerts on the watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that would be cool, and I could see there would be a use for that, um, but it just apparently didn't take off. So, you know, yeah. it would be nice to. And, you know, I don't want to have to like, especially if I'm sitting down, you know, how you got to kind of raise halfway up and stick your hand in your pocket to get your phone and pull it out. And hopefully your wallet and keys don't come falling out as well. And just to see, 
oh great spam i can buy viagra for five bucks a billion pills you know <laughs> that was you know say oh i, I don't you know you get a little thing. older you start reading those ads twice <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it seems cool. I I, w- I wish it would, you know, actually take off because I think it'd be a really cool thing that, especially if it's opened up and the APIs are there where we could possibly see a Dick Tracy watch get this, you know, have this turned into a Dick Tracy watch. Because if it's Bluetooth to your phone, you should be able to do stuff with it. Yeah, but having the earpiece that is already well established is infinitely superior to talking to your your wrist. I mean, it, it's better in every way. You can have stuff in your hands. You don't look quite as stupid when you're talking to your wrist. Um, you know, it's just, it's we have a form factor that works really well. And yes, people still ridicule people for it, but, you know, haters be hating. Um, that's just the way it is. But the the Bluetooth earpiece that, that fits in your ear and, and you talk to, is it's there where i mean even google glass is just augmenting that technology it's essentially yeah. the same thing with a video component so i think the watch thing yeah uh, it was cool seeing michael knight say kit get in here but today he could tap his ear and say kit get in here and do exactly the same thing so yeah i'm done with that yeah but it's just <laughs> not as dramatic and we all want the dramatic <laughs> and the dick tracy watch is a good idea but I mean, people, we, the, the iPhone has a four inch, three and a half inch screen and people whined about it. It had to get bigger. Uh, you're talking about a watch with a one and a half inch screen. You really want to do video conference on that? No, it worked when Dick Tracy did it, but he was a big square guy with a, with a six inch wrist. That's why it worked <laughs> for him. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. That, I just, I turned into grumpy old man guy again. Get off my lawn. You did that horribly. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just because this is interesting, um, in the constant quest for crunching more numbers faster, there's a new king. Yeah, the, the, um, golly, I can't even remember the name of the group, but twice a year they put out their list of the top 500 supercomputers. And this year, number one on the list does not belong to America. It actually belongs to the Chinese. They put out this machine two years ahead of when basically the rest of the world thought they were going to have it ready. The uh, Tianhei, or however you say that too, which is Chinese for Milky Way, they put out this thing that can do a freaking load of numbers and like give data a run for his money apparently <laughs> uh it's just you know the numbers to me they they're just there's no frame of reference for how many teraflops to say i mean you know that you might as well just insert random sounds there because you know it's it just doesn't matter but yeah they have developed it and they've come out and they really they almost doubled um and I think they actually did just over double the previous speed record. So um, uh, there, there's lots of facts on these, you know, like the USA still has the greatest concentration of, um, of high powered computers. Um, but anyway, it was just neat that 
how big this machine was and how fast this machine was and apparently how fast they did it. And one of the cool things is it wasn't so much just China going, okay, we're going to buy a billion of your parts and we're just going to build something bigger. It's actually something that they've kind of designed and developed themselves. So it shows that China is maturing, has a, a technological, um, I don't know the right word, I don't, technological power, technological entity that, you know, they're not just copying, they're actually innovating. Yeah. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes where you can kind of read what they did and what it is. It's a bunch of technical stuff that makes for very dry podcasting, but at the same time, it makes for very interesting reading. So I would, I would suggest you, um, take it out or, uh, click on this link and read it just because it was pretty neat, um, to see how fast they did, how fast, um, stuff is expanding and how, how big it is. And apparently people who do supercomputers, they're studying the human brain in a quest to get uh, faster computing power. So. So just to give you a sense of scale, the number two computer at Oak Ridge National Laboratory is a Cray XK7 supercomputer. It has um, um, 560,000 2.2 gigahertz cores. 560,000 cores chained together. This new device at the National University of Defense Technology in China has 3.12 million 2.2 gigahertz cores. It's a factor of six more, six times as many cores. Yeah, but the number three had like 1.5 million. So yeah. number of cores is a lot, but that's not the only thing. It they out they did something to uh, you know get a lot more out right. of those cores because yeah. So, but just to, just cool. take your average your laptop right. Your i7 laptop has four cores in it. This has 3,120,000 cores in it. That's a lot. And the, the thing that always makes me look, I, I love these stats, but I always like to look at how much power they consume. Look at how much kilowatts they eat up. Yeah, over 17,000 kilowatts. That's, uh, That's that is lot. by far and away the largest on the list. Uh, you know, number four is over 12 and a half. So it's got that beat. But yeah, they are sucking the power out, killing the planet, y'all. Um, the quest for the greatest supercomputer is going to doom us all to a life of Stone Age. <laughs> no, what, they're um, actually using that to heat um, Beijing. So it's not a problem. It's okay. They're, oh, oh. They're, <laughs> okay. Oh, well, multitasking there. You're right. Uh, well, I'll have to give it to them for that. I had not considered it. But that's just crazy. I mean, when you, especially when you start going down the list and you see the power consumption drop to like 300 and 1,000, it's just like, wow, that was a supercomputer. Like uh, number 39 but, has 329 yeah. kilowatts. But remember how fast or how much, how hot like the first i3s were? I mean, you couldn't really put your laptop on your lap. You know, you could use it to melt a glacier, but you really couldn't mm -hmm. use it. But now the i3s don't use near, they don't produce near as much heat or they don't use as much power. So it's one of those, this is the first of this type. So as such, it uses a lot more power, but as this technology gets refined, it, that'll come down a lot. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. 
that's just that's interesting. I mean, we could talk about this a whole bunch, uh, but we won't because yeah. That'll be our everyday supercomputer episode or podcast. <laughs> well, no, the reality Welcome is we have already exceeded our knowledge, and so the rest of it would just be gas baggery, which is fine. I'm good with gas baggery, uh, but let's let's move on. Um, listener feedback section of the show. Uh, just want to begin. To, uh, Rick is a smartass, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to get that right out in the open, Rick writes in and says, I always learn something when I listen to the podcast. This week, I learned from Mark that General Grant was a hero of the Confederacy. Who knew? I guess he was working as a double agent embedded in the Union Army. Apparently, though, he was a failure since the Confederacy lost. But at least he was memorialized at Stone Mountain for his efforts. Okay, so clearly I misspoke. I don't even remember this, but apparently I misspoke and said that one of the the... Uh, generals on Stone Mountain was General Grant. Of course, I know that it was President Jefferson Davis um, and uh, uh, General Lee and General Stonewall Jackson. Uh, I don't. I probably wait. The General Lee, they put a car. Yes, they put Stone a car Mountain. there with a Confederate. It was orange. It's very cool. Awesome. It, was, it was very ahead of its time. So anyway, okay. there you go. Thanks, Rick, for pointing. He put ahead of PS. You know, I had to do it. All right. Well, Rick is a smartass, and so is Gus, because Gus writes in to say, I just wanted to say in reference to your comments on Drupal and LXDE, if you're using a hammer with a bag of screws, you might need a refresher course in woodworking. All right. Okay. Apparently, I said mixed a metaphor there. Chris mixes metaphors every time he opens his mouth. We've never gotten one email about it. In a one-hour and 45-minute show where I did almost all of the talking, I misspeak a couple of times and then get an email about both of them. There is a double standard here, and I will not stand for it. (laughs) That's because you're King Twit. (laughs) King Twit? I don't even know what that means. Oh, okay. So there you go. Twice in an hour and 45 minutes, I thought one thing and said another. You got me, guys. Uh, and I laughed really hard at both of those. So thanks for um, thanks for making fun of me. Uh, Guillaume comes yeah, we in. have a lot to do it, too. <laughs> Guillaume comes in with something positive to say. He's got a little feedback for all of us. Uh, he says, hello, Everyday Linux crew. You asked for feedback, so I thought I'd give you some. For Mark, I have a comment. For Chris, I have a weird command line link. And for Seth, I have a sweet, gooey-oriented app. Mark, I'm glad you put your feet down on the podcast bitrate matter. Not everyone can be satisfied at the same time. Uh, it's sad, but it's life. From my side, I, I like the stereo thing you do with it. It's kind of the thing that my ears had noticed, my, but my brain hadn't computed until you said it on the air. Now I understand why I feel like I'm being in the same room with you three. Chris, here's a link I found in the Arch Linux wiki. We'll put it in the show notes. It concerns a crazy, really crazy bash prompt customization, but it's worth a look. And Seth, I like this small app, and I think it doesn't get enough attention. It's called PDF Shuffler. As far as I know, it only merges PDF files, but it does it in a very elegant way, and it's intuitive. Thank you for everything, Guillaume. So there's a little bit of feedback there. You guys vamp for me while I hook up the laptop because I forgot we had a voicemail. Ready, go. <laughs> no, I I appreciate it, Guillaume. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have much need to merge PDF files, but I will definitely keep this in mind. But for everybody out there, this is a great tip. PDF Shuffler, just uh, search for it, and you too can merge all of your PDF files 
into one gigantic cacophony of Adobe richness. There, Chris, your turn. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> My turn, huh? You know, and I'm looking through this, and this is some extreme customization of your of your bash prompt. Um, some of this stuff is pretty nuts. Uh, I don't even want to even touch any of it on this on air because some of this I'm gonna actually have to read over and check some of those commands that they're the the switches they're using because I've never seen a couple of them, but there's some pretty cool stuff going on this site. Well, it's I'll have to dig into it a little bit deeper to see what it all entails because I have a feeling I might be adding some of these to my bash prompts. <laughs> All right, and now I have everything hooked up, and I'm ready to play the voicemail from our good friend, uh, the door-to-door geek, Mr. Steve McLaughlin. Hello, Mark. Hello, Seth. Hello, Chris. This is door-to-door geek. Um, first off, ironically enough, the exact question I wanted to ask you guys, Chris kind of teased in this last episode I'm listening to. Sorry, I was on vacation. I think I'm two episodes behind, maybe. Uh, he went over LSHW command to extract uh, a bunch of hardware information, and then he said how he puts it in a file. I was going to ask you guys, what kinds of applications have you found in Linux to extract gather report on hardware? Um, and I don't mean troubleshooting hardware, just the amount of hardware, the types of hardware, the specs of hardware. Is there anything else besides LA's? LSHW that you guys have used or that you have liked? Uh, that's my question. Um, and I will say, the command line godfather is the command line godfather. He's not the hardware godfather. Um, he said he had a Intel Trino 2 processor. Uh, that's not a processor spec. So, um, Trino is the combination of hardware that is uniform. A Trino means it has, if I'm not mistaken, Intel processor, Intel video, and Intel wireless all wrapped into a bundle. It's more of a naming of a bundle is what I gather. I thought, I think, I believe, I could have swore. No matter what, thank you guys for the great show. It is good to hear Seth back, even if he's still sick. Thank you for sacrificing some of your uh, rest time, Seth, to come back. It's always good to hear you. Uh, I definitely look forward to more good shows, guys. Talk to you soon. All right, so there you go. Uh, Door had a question about other ways to find hardware. Um, uh, And... We've lost Seth again. You there, Seth? No. Weird. Same thing happened last week. He went away, and then things got weird. Anyway, so uh, thank you, Dor, for the comments, and uh, at least somebody picked on Chris a little bit for misspeaking. Oh. I don't remember, Chris, you talking about the Centrino chipset, but Dor's right. Centrino is essentially a marketing term that intel came up with it's a collection it's a combination of hardware uh, uh of processor wi-fi and graphics chipset that you had to be within a certain set of specs to be called a centrino uh chipset but i don't uh, i don't remember that conversation 
I might have made it as a uh, I ran this tool as the LS hardware thing and then it told me more about my Citrino stuff. That might have been what I said or something similar. Um, but as far as other tools to do hardware information, that's, you know, besides something like LS, the the one, the command line tip the other day, the LS uh, HD, HWD or whatever it was, um, there, you know, you could always do LS PCI, LS USB, et cetera, to find out more information on those parts. Uh, but the, that last command line tip that, that you're referring to, Door, is the one I use all the time because it dumps out a ton of, of information. So uh, I can look around and see if I can find something else. But I know for Linux, that seems to be the easiest tool that I've ever used. Um, there's other... Uh, we had a comment last week about dumping it into a HTML file to see it a little bit easier to read. But... Being in the command line more often than not, I always dump it to a text file because, uh, you know, Vim is for the win. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I really can't say much else on it at this point. Um, I'll I'll put it in my tasks to do and find you maybe something better. All right. Uh, and Seth has gone away. Um, hope, hopefully he'll be back. I'm not sure what's going on there, but we'll c- continue on our last bit of listener email. Nope, almost. We've got one more. Uh, Kevin asked about laptop hardware. And, and as I uh, said uh, previously in a show, we're not going to answer everybody's hardware questions on the show. But I, I like this one because it, it uh, asks sort of a general question that was interesting for discussion. Kevin says, hello all. I've decided to invest in a Linux system for a laptop from either System76 or Zareason. Uh, I, can, I like that I can select any distro from Zareason uh, unit, but it's a bit more expensive. It appears to be a bit heavier. Also, you re- would you recommend adding more memory or upgrade the drive by adding an SSD, even if it's a small SSD? Uh, would you expect any problems wiping off Ubuntu uh, from the 70 System76 and installing CrunchBang or Mint slash Debian? So I'll stop right there. Um, I'm a big fan of System76. I don't know Za Reason. That's not a company I know. Um, uh, but I like uh, I like System76. I bought from them many times before. And no, you, know, you just wipe the drive and put whatever you want on it. Uh, that won't be a problem. As for the SSD, Chris, what do you think? More RAM or an SSD? Um, yeah, that's kind of a toss-up right now in my personal opinion. Um, I haven't done any research on adding an SSD into Linux to see how bad it gets thrashed because I know... In Windows, there's the they have that trim command, and I don't know if Linux has one similar. I'm sure they do, but I don't know how how much thrashing it's going to add to that disk for wear and tear. Um, I've always been on the mind of you can never have enough RAM, but that's just my personal opinion. Uh, but I would say definitely dump as much RAM as you can afford into it. That way, you don't have any issues down the road. Uh, especially with if you're a Chrome user where Chrome gobbles up as much RAM as it seems to can grab. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners will tell us that SSDs are the best things since sliced bread. But until I have one in my grubby little hands and can test it, I won't recommend it either way. 
Uh, we've talked about SSDs before, and and I was sort of uh, hesitant to recommend them because they do have a they have a life cycle. I'm going to say I've come full circle on that. I've been doing some research about that because I want to put an SSD in my own laptop here. Um, and I have decided that the modern incarnation, uh, while they don't have the life expectancy of a spinning disk drive, it's going to be good enough. The mean time before, between failures at this point is in the years. Uh, so if you run it regularly and, and are accessing the things heavily, you're going to get two, three, five years out of them. Uh, which is reasonable and expecting uh, ex- uh, a reasonable expectation from uh, a laptop hard drive. So, um, with Linux's um, aggressive use of cache in general, um, I might think that on a Linux machine, a faster hard drive and less RAM would actually be better performance than lots of RAM and a regular hard drive. Um, I can't guarantee that because I haven't tried it, but my, um, my, that's my assessment. I think that, uh, that your best bet in terms of bang for the buck might actually be the, the hard drive because there's, there's going to be lots of caching. There's going to be lots of that stuff going on. And with less memory, you force more caching naturally. So ideally you want both. You want to throw as much RAM at it as you, as you can get. But I've come full circle on the on the SSDs, and I am quite certain that the next laptop I buy will have exclusively SSDs and no spinning disks. Oh. Well, there you go. But like I said, I don't have an SSD. I've never tried an SSD in my laptop. Um, as, as these prices come down in SSDs, I probably will end up getting one just for the chance to try it. Um, but as of right now, the, the, the money isn't there, so to speak. So... Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, you know, it never hurts to play with it, uh, but I would not jump all over it just yet until you do some do some heavy research on some of the good sites to see what happens and see what they've already found out. All right, so there you go. Uh, and then moving on, picking up with his email, uh, I will then want to install Windows Seven in a virtual box or or something like that for a couple of applications that I plan to continue to use. I've never had much success with virtual machines, but I think it's more to do with limited resources on existing equipment than with VirtualBox. What issues might I face with this configuration? Keep up the good work, and thanks for all the effort. Sincerely, Kevin. Okay, now that you've said you want to virtualize, I hereby reverse my opinion. When you're virtualizing, RAM is, is critical. Hard drive speed, less critical. So if you're going to to be virtualizing and doing it more than just a you know a casual use, if you're actually going to be using a virtual machine a lot, you need RAM, uh, a lot of RAM. And I think that once you get a lot of RAM uh, on a good machine, you're going to find VirtualBox sinks. Uh, and I suspect you're right that the problems you've had are um, hard are <clears throat> hardware related because I find VirtualBox to be really solid and perform really well as long as you Um, have the ram to feed it right well and if you're going to um be putting windows 7 in a virtual box you will need a new license key for that and so if you're going to buy a computer that came pre-shipped with linux on it you will then have to buy a license for your windows 7 at least to keep it legal and i know listening to this show you are a big fan of doing everything legally 
All right, so there you go. You got he had uh, the Microsoft representative in the crowd had to mention licensing. Uh, so yeah. uh, I think here here's what I'm going to say. Assuming uh, you have the money to do this, eight gigs of RAM at least, twelve would be better. Uh, and if you want to do SSD, do one SSD for data and uh, a uh, spinning disk for OS. I think for what you've described you're going to do, that would be the ideal configuration. What do you guys think of that? Um, I think you got it backwards, Mark. I think you'd want the SSD for your your native laptop, your native OS, the one that you're running in and out, your home partition on a separate draw on on, a set, on the spinning disk, along with the virtualized hard drive on the spinning disk. Okay. Because you'd want the you'd you'd want the performance on the host machine, because that's what's going to be doing all the calls to the hard drive for what to do. Well, that's why the RAM, so that you can offload that stuff to RAM. Yeah. Well, I, think I would say you're just obsessed with SSDs and you really don't need one. But if you want one, go for it. But the, I don't really Seth, think have you used a machine with an SSD? I haven't. The performance is unbelievable. It, it reminds me back really? in, in my old days when I was uh, a kid programmer and there were these things called RAM disks where you could create a virtual disk inside RAM back when people right. had tons of RAM, like you had 512K and it was just ridiculous amounts of RAM. Uh, and so you could load uh, a floppy disk worth of data into RAM, and it would just it was phenomenal. It would it was like instant access. Um, and when you work on a machine with an SSD, it it takes me back to that experience. It's so fast as to yeah. almost be like working out of memory all the time. So um, if if I'm obsessed, it's because I've seen the the effects of it, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I've seen okay. the effects of it too. It, I'm really impressed with SSD performance, but I just don't know how long the life would be in a Linux machine with all the caching that they do. Um, that's my one caveat of moving to an SSD. Yet, um, I haven't done the I haven't done any research lately, and I may be totally off base. But you never know. Uh, I would rather err on the side of caution than err on the side of bleeding edge. At least for any data that needs to be. Uh, recoverable because i don't think you can recover ssd once it blows up um it kind of depends on how it blows up but a lot of the uh, data recovery software out there at least claims to be able to access ssd drives well, the way drives um, are laid out ssd drives the they present themselves to the os just like any other disk so yeah what what he said assuming the disk it's physically healthy um any regular tools should be able to handle it in roughly the same way. Hey, I know we've talked about this before, but it's been a while. Um, so in the context of this email, what would be the difference between an SSD drive and say a 64 gig flash drive that you loaded the OS on? Um, um, it, are you talking over USB 2 or over USB 3? Because if it's over just, USB well, 2, it's... It's horrible. Don't do it. Really? <laughs> the yeah. speed isn't there. That's the difference. If it's over with USB 3, different story. With SSD, you get a native SATA interface, and you get native SATA speed, uh, whereas uh, with with just plugging in a, 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 a flash drive into the, the motherboard, you don't, you don't get that. Um, and also, the, 
they're just laid out differently. Flash is not the same thing as SSD. Um, and they just don't perform in the same way at all. So it, it would, it'd be a very different thing. Cool. So there you go, Kevin, avoid the flash drive for your scenario. Uh, and flash drives are made to be dirt cheap and, uh, disposable and reliability is really not on the list of things for flash drives. Um, I actually tried that with a, uh, FreeNAS box we talked about earlier. Um, and it just didn't work at all. It was just a regular, like Kingston USB stick. I wanted to see what would happen. And those things are dirt cheap for a reason. <laughs> They're fine for storing yeah. files that you access once in a while, but actually using them as a drive. No, oh, it was terrible. See, and personally, I'm, I just jumped over to Amazon really quick to see the price points. If you're going to go SSD and you want to virtualize on that SSD, expect to have your virtual disks a lot smaller because the price per gig is a lot higher on an SSD than it is on a spinning disk. Um, for example, a, uh, a crucial, how big is that? Uh, 240 gigabyte hard drive that's solid state is 200 bucks versus you can get almost what a, a three terabyte, four terabyte hard drive that's spinning disk at that same size. Right. Yeah, but really, who needs more than 200 gigs? I mean, we we store stuff, but in terms of actually needing for, for making things work, that's why I recommend two drives. You know, one for storage, for keeping stuff on, and one for, you know, doing work. All um, right, but how many laptops do you see nowadays that have two drive bays? There isn't that many. They're, they're few and far between yeah, that's nowadays. That's a good point. That's a good point. So there you go. We, we don't agree on anything. Kevin, and uh, you can feel free to do anything we said or nothing we said. And moving on, Mitch asks a question that starts the topic of the show, more or less. He says, howdy, I really enjoy the show. It's a good time and very informative. I've been a programmer for decades, and over the years I've gotten very skilled at breaking things. Eventually I realized if I knew how to be a sysadmin, I'd have my own IT ecosystem for creating problems and then fixing problems. So, here I am. My question is about <laughs> disk partitions. My problem is this. Within a multi-partition system, when one of the partitions hits 100% and bad, bad, really bad things happen, I know if everything is configured correctly, this is not a problem, but mistakes happen. Over years, a partition hitting 100% has happened to me multiple times and twice since I started listening to your show. For me, the approach of one huge partition has never been a problem. Even the approach y'all have mentioned from slash home being on its own partition, uh, it seems like it adds unnecessary amount of complexity. Have I just been unlucky lucky in my partition experiences? It just seems like doing something like setting up VAR in a, in a 10 gig partition on a two terabyte drive creates a potential crash point in your computer. For example, my last crash, VAR was at 100% and ha uh, home had over 640 gigs. Again, thanks for a great show. I have told my friends about it. We will answer your question right after this ad from our sponsor, Linux Academy. See, I've been trying to work it in organically. This time I thought I'd go all professional radio and do a teaser. Ask the question, Ooh. do the ad. 
and come back. That's right. I'm a real radio announcer, people. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com, we're happy to have them as a sponsor of this show where you can learn, and I put this on there because you can learn all kinds of cool stuff. If you're like our friend Mitch and you want to branch out into the new world of administrating stuff and becoming assisted men, what better place to do that than at LinuxAcademy.com, which is what they do. They teach you how to be assisted men. What a great uh, lead-in you gave us there, Mitch. You want to be assisted men? We've got a sponsor who teaches people how to be assisted men. It's almost like I planned this. Uh, Linuxacademy.com offers step-by-step video courses to help beginners uh, learn to run Linux servers and prep for certification. On the uh, Speaking of certification, they've had a few students who just took the LPI 101 exam and passed, having studied exclusively at Linuxacademy.com. I don't know what LPI 101 he said to say I don't either. Uh, <laughs> uh, Linux Professional Institute baseline certification. It's uh, slightly more prestigious than the CompTIA Linux Plus. Well, there so you go. Awesome. In, in the certification world, in the Linux certification world, you're, I mean, it's there, you're pretty good. They kind of just, it's made in such a way, at least the last time I checked into it, to discourage the paper tiger phenomenon. And these guys got everything they needed from linuxacademy.com to do that. They've also added labs and quizzes. So it's not just uh, uh, content and uh, teaching content anymore, but assessment content as well. And they've got a quiz software that they're ready to roll out just this month. Sometime in, amount, uh, in June, they'll have a quiz software out there that will quiz you uh, on the stuff you've just taken. So it's really becoming an entirely full-fledged online learning environment it started out with just video step-by-step courses then it became video step-by-step courses with pdf companions now it's video step-by-step courses with with pdf companions and uh lab materials and training uh and and quiz software all built in for the low low price of 19 bucks a month but if you buy three months they'll throw one in for free you can get a quarter for only 38 dollars if you're a tightwad like me and you're not sure you want to spend 19 bucks that's okay the first seven days is free Sign up, give it a try. You don't like it after a week, cancel it. They're not going to charge you anything. But I, I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to cancel it. If you're serious about it, if you want to learn something and you sign up for Linux Academy, you're going to find plenty of stuff there to keep you busy for at least a few months, uh, probably for a lot longer than that. Anthony is, has been really aggressive about adding on to their content. He wants to keep you there. He wants to keep you shucking out your 38 bucks a quarter. The only way he can do that is to give you more stuff. So if he can give you more stuff every quarter, you're going to give him more money every quarter. That's amazing how that works. So he's going to provide you great stuff, and you're going to provide him a pittance in return for it. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So there you and go. And if this cheapskate pays for it, it's well worth the money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so LinuxAcademy.com, thanks for being a sponsor, and thank you, Element Opie Army, for responding so positively every time we do an ad that they like to come back and do more ads. You are supporting us by supporting them. It's a whole circle of life sort of thing. And we appreciate you doing it. And now... It's a circle of life. Never do that again. Never. Never do that, that again. That's horrible. No, no, no. Ever, were ever, were ever. you talking about the dancing? Don't ever do the chair dance. <laughs> and now back to our regularly scheduled program. Mitch, let's talk about disk partitions. And But first, we got to ask a couple of questions. First off, what's a disk partition and why do we care? Um... This is one of those geeky things that uh, the everyday people probably doesn't know about, uh, and the and the 
programmer like yourself might not know either. Um, think of a partition as uh, a room within a house. You ever had a house without a room? No. Even a tree house has at least one room. You wall it off. You built. You put some uh, some uh, uh, insulation in there, and the room takes up slightly less size than the overall uh, footprint of the house. That's what partitions do. Every partition, every disc has at least one partition. The partition tells the system, "Hey, this is where you can start. This is where you can stop. This is a disc." And starting way back in the late '80s. Uh, maybe even earlier than that, you began uh, to be able to have multiple multiple partitions on a disc. You could put more rooms in a house. So you can say, this room over here, this is my bathroom. I don't need it to be 100 square feet because just crap goes there. Ah, get that, see? Um, so it doesn't have to be very big. This room over here, this is my bedroom. I want it to be pretty big. Because I spend a lot of time there. This over here, this is where the stuff really goes down. This is the great room. If you've ever bought a house, every room, every house has a, a plan called the great room. That's the family room, the den. That's where the big stuff happens. So when you're building the house that is your hard drive, you might have multiple partitions. You might have a, uh, a section that we call your home partition in Linux. That's where all the stuff happens. That's your great room. You might have a small partition for your system files, or as Mitch mentioned in his email, the var files, which is variables. By the way, var should be huge. People don't realize that. Var is where stuff, where all the work does. Home may be where you watch TV. Var is like the three-car garage. That's where the work happens. You need it to be big. And so if you hit 100%, um, that's not surprising, because that needs to be a big thing, not a small thing. Um, so there you go. That's a quick primer on partitions. You got to have one. Every disc has a partition in windows. They're called C D E F G drives in Linux. They're called something like S D a one S D a two and so on. Um, but you can break those up then into, you know, like home or sys or boot boot can be really tiny boot can be like a hundred K and it'll be fine. Cause it doesn't hold much. It doesn't change much. Uh, so there you go. As disks got bigger, it became necessary, or not necessary, but perhaps beneficial to break them up. So, Mitch, you're talking about, no, it wasn't Mitch, who was it? Scroll up. It was Kevin. He's talking about having multiple partitions, uh, multiple OSs on a single machine. You might have a partition just for your virtual box. You could do that, and you could actually link to that and get uh, much more native performance than you would if you're going through a virtual disk. But uh, the, the idea of having logical partitions to separate things became pretty common. In fact, I don't know that you can buy a machine today that doesn't have at least two partitions. Windows, Windows 7, I don't know about Windows 8, comes with two partitions. Just It just does. You got your C drive and your D drive. You got your, your OS and your data. Uh, and ma major manufacturers like Dell and Toshiba will sometimes even put a different, like a hidden partition on there where they have all their system stuff. So, guys, yep. anything to add to my primer on partitions? No, that's You're pretty good. Mark, I, always, doing I, great. I always talk about it like being a pizza where you have these many slices for this and this many slices for that. But that works, too. I, I like the, the house layout. That, that makes sense. I'm hungry now, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I am too. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, how do you partition your drives? 
well, that varies greatly depending on where the drive, what what the machine is that I'm partitioning on. If it's a desktop unit where I can have multiple hard drives, um, I usually opt out of multiple partitionings in favor for multiple hard drives with mount points. If it's on a laptop, usually I have one, I give you know three quarters of the partition to slash home and the rest of it is the root. So that means that I would also have var and, and everything else in it. Um, that seems to be a good, for me at least, it seems to be a good way of doing it since like on my laptop, it it gets blown away every couple of weeks. So wait, 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 wait. Let's me, stop right there. Let's stop right there. That is the main reason you would want multiple partitions. Tell me the benefit of having multiple partitions when your laptop gets blown away every couple of weeks. Well, I don't lose my home directory then. All my my file settings, my Firefox settings, my XChat settings, my Audacity settings—they all stay the same. I never have to rebuild like my Firefox config or my Pigeon account information or my Skype account information. That all is there. I just have to reinstall the programs, and then they automatically pick up that configuration file. And if you have just one big partition with everything on it, and you need to reload the OS, what happens, Chris? You have to reload everything, including your data and your settings, and it makes life a little bit harder for yourself than you really need to be. But like I was saying earlier, when I put it in, when I have a hard, a, a desktop, a full-size desktop, I, that's why I have multiple hard drives, because then I can split things up a little bit more um, and have a, a drive dedicated to home, and a, a, a smaller drive is root, and then a, a similar-sized drive is then var. So that way... If any one place fails, I could still rebuild the system without too much of a headache. But it, I, it's just fault recovery for me. Right, and that's why in Linux we like we typically recommend multiple partitions. Where in Windows, it's not such a big deal. Um, and and uh, let's say, for example, you want you've got Mint installed on your computer now, and you want to put Fedora on it. There's really no easy way to do that. You can't just run the Fedora installer on top of the Mint installer. You can, but it's not going to work very well. Uh, and the reason right. it doesn't work very well is Linux tries to be super careful about not erasing anything important. And in fact, it'll leave so many important things that it leaves you with pretty much the same OS you started with. Uh, so the only right. effective way to move from one distribution to another, and sometimes if you want to say you're moving from uh, uh, just you're at Ubuntu and you want to go from one um, uh, long-term release to uh, another long-term release, you, you, uh, you could do a smooth upgrade there. You could do a, a, a one-touch upgrade, but it's, it's going to leave a lot of cruft behind. So people always recommend, as they do in the Windows world, uh, wipe it away and start over. If you have multiple partitions... It's really easy to do that. Just wipe out the the OS partition, and and everything else is fine. You you may have to um, you know remind your system when it comes up that you've got Firefox installed. But once you do, it says, "Oh yeah, here's all your configuration. Here's your bookmarks. Here's the way you like it." So that's why in Linux, it's 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 not critical, but it's a good idea, particularly if you're a tinkerer to have multiple partitions. And uh, and Mitch, the way you talked about you've got this for this and this for that, I, I don't I don't break it out like that. I have a, a slash partition, what we call the root partition. I have a boot partition, and everything else is home. So home includes var, 
and and temp and all of that sort of stuff. And that's the way I run into uh, I avoid running into the issue with um, uh, running out of space on a partition. Uh, and because those sort of things tend to be either uh, cycled out by the system in time or temporary things that that only last a little while anyway, I don't find that there's a lot of benefit to breaking out just a VAR partition or just a uh, a temp partition. Any comments on that, Chris? Yeah, the only... Well, I'm going to say this. um, The new ButterFS system that's coming out on any of the major distributions, they automatically break up a lot of those... um, like VAR and everything else, they break those off into their own partitions already, but they're encased in in a like a logic volume where they can manu- the system manages how big each partition is. Um, it, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure how on how everything works or how if there's any benefit for using butter yet. Um, I have that on my new system that I'm beta test or I'm testing out the, the Fedora 19, and I haven't seen any performance gains or any stability issues as far as butter. But I did notice the second I said I wanted butter, it changed all of my defaults and said, then this is how your partitioning system has to be. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm guessing that has something to do with the way it does the, um, for lack of a better term, the shadow copying of itself. Um, So I'm guessing so it alleviates some of the overhead for butter. But you know, I'm kind of curious to see if I ever see any stability issues with the file system itself, but so far I haven't. Um, and I was going to say something and I totally forgot what it was. So we'll move on. Uh, yes, adding multiple partitions does make your system more complex, but if you keep it to a reasonable uh, number of partitions, you don't really notice it. Home is where you do where you live. That's where you do all your work. Um, if you, as long as you're not trying to have a different partition for programs and a different partition for data and, and a partition for uh, JPEGs and a partition for GIFs and a partition for for movie files, it, it, you're you're not. It's not going to in effect uh, impact you on a regular basis. You just my stuff is over here, the system stuff is over there, and I'm not going to worry about it. And so it's a little yeah. more complicated when you're first setting up, but then you forget about it. Which is where uh, on that bullet point i also put down though that by forgetting about it it could risk your data if you're not paying attention if you're like me who blows away your system every couple of weeks um i've done it a couple of times by accident and that which is why i always say backup backup and backup (laughs) before you do anything with your partitioning system uh but you know i i by chance left the default set for how to clean off the drive and i didn't say that the home is at this partition and it blew everything away and made its own partitioning tree, which would have lost a lot of data, but I did have it backed up. So I wasn't too sad about it. So for the, the one button pushers, the, the people who don't really get what this is and they just push the install this for me now button. Um, one partition is going to be fine. It's not going to hurt anything. It just, uh, doesn't afford you a great deal of flexibility. For the people who like to monkey with stuff, and that's probably why you're listening to this show, you want the flexibility that multiple partitions can afford you. But don't go crazy with it, because you can actually have too many partitions for your system, 
and it can slow things down trying to keep up with them all. Yeah, so, because unneeded stress. Yes. So keep it simple. Multiple partitions is good, but not too many. I, I would say, you know, in terms of partitions you're going to interact with, a couple, two, three at the absolute most, and then a couple of them that the system does without you thinking about it. Um, and like I said, I have I have slash, and I have um, home, and I have boot. That's all I ever do uh, when I partition the system, and I just let the system worry about the rest. So I think what you ran into, Mitch, was overzealous partitioning that caused a problem, not just the fact that you had a partition. And if you're going to dual boot, what I like to do is I throw in another data partition that I uh, format where both my Windows machine and my Linux machine can read the data off of it. Because Linux can read Microsoft formats with no problem, but Windows has a hard time reading anything other than Windows that isn't already 50 years old. So if you're going to dual boot, um, or even have a VM and you want to be able to access data on that machine, throwing another partition on there that's formatted in TFS or something is, is a good thing to do. And the great thing about it whenever you're booting in Linux is you can always use a live CD, something like you can get the Gparted CD or Puppy with Gparted on it. And then you can go in and expand the partition that's full and shrink the one with all the free space to get yourself up and going. All right. I don't think I have anything else to say about partitions. Do you you guys have anything else to add? No, the only thing I would say is, you know, if you do have this on a a desktop and not a laptop, instead of multi-partitioning, maybe do multi-drives because you do get a performance bump by having multiple drives being, you know, like one drive being slash home versus... Just a just one drive because you have two heads reading then instead of just one. There you go, little little geek level information there. Uh, so I think we're going to leave that uh, for now. I'm sure that there may be follow up questions out there. Hit us with them later. Um, Chris, what's our command line this week? The command line actually happened when I was playing with these this beta version of. Fedora is I forgot to set the host name on my machine because I had a brain fart and I forgot to put an actual name on it. So the computer was named hostname dot hostname. (laughs) So I was like, oh, that's such a great name, but let's change it. Um, And in Fedora from Fedora 17 and above, um, I don't know if this command will work in any other versions of Linux. I'm sure this might be a, I don't know if this is a Fedora only tool. So, you know, heads up on that just before you run it and maybe hose your system. But it's hostname CTL. And what this will do is it'll, it'll change all the locations in Fedora that need to be changed if you're going to change your computer name. So it, it changes it in what the what network sees it as, what you see in your bash shell. It changes it everywhere, and it's a quick and simple tool. Uh, so anything from 17 and above, I know it works on for sure, and that's hostname CTL. All right, and Seth, what you, what you got for us this week? Well, I love, love, love bacon, and we've wait, made wait, it the whole this, show. What is this bacon you without- speak of? 
<laughs> yeah, without talking about it. So here is a recipe for meatloaf wrapped in bacon glazed with a Dr. Pepper laced <laughs> sauce. I wasn't even looking for anything. I just saw this and I, I, I could not believe just how awesome that sounds. I have one so, improvement. Just looking at it right at the bat, off the bat. So you got your, you got your meatloaf ball. I'm, I'm all with that. The bacon. How about wrapping all of that around a little ball of mashed potatoes? So you got your ball of mashed potatoes. You got your meatloaf wrapped around that. You got your bacon wrapped around that. That is a one bite wonder right there. Or interesting, you could add cheese in the middle. Well, Maybe cheesy somewhere. mashed potatoes, even better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, now we're on to something good. So just go ahead and make you some cheesy mashed potatoes before you start with this recipe that will be in the show notes. Um, and you too can love you some bacon. So anyway, I just, um, I appreciate the guys who sent me the links. I looked at those and they might come up in a future show, but if you come across something weird or interesting or just cool, and you would like to submit that for a future episode, uh, EDL at elementop.com, shoot it out, shoot it to me. And if it's something cool, I'll put it in there. Um, I do have kind of a, a list that I pull from, so you send it, it might not be in the next week, but it might come sometime down the road or down the line. And if I use yours, I will give you credit. So maybe we need to add a new section to the show called the bacon feedback section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Guess what guys? Control P. I'm printing that recipe. <laughs> I will let you know if I can talk the missus into doing it with me. We'll see how it comes out. I was at a party awesome. uh, yesterday for Father's Day, and uh, it was burgers and hot dogs, and somebody had made some baked beans. I'm not a fan of baked beans. The sweet and the bean it just doesn't do it for me. But they had covered the, the beans with bacon and when, when they baked them, so there was crispy layer of bacon on top of the beans. So I made myself a burger. I went over to the beans, and I just lifted off a few strips of bacon and laid it on the burger and left the beans behind. I was a bacon thief yesterday and not ashamed of it. Somebody had baconless beans because I had beanless bacon. <laughs> and somewhere somebody liked that. You know, the, the vegans in the room were glad <laughs> that somebody removed the bacon so they could get to the good stuff underneath. Um, so see, it's a, it's a, you brought balance to the force, Mark. Uh, Yoda would be proud of you. There were no vegans. There's goodness in, this room. in you. I sense it. <laughs> oh wow, we went down the geek hole on that one. Oh, that, that would be a great name for a podcast. Down the geek hole. I like it. Um, like a weekly podcast of of comic books and never getting late. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need a podcast for that. <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry. That just, it, it overtook me and, uh, I, I just couldn't hold back anymore. If you would like to comment on my crudeness or on anything else, um, or maybe, uh, in the hour and a half of this show, I, uh, misspoke a word or two and you want to take me to task for it. You can do that over at our website at elementop.com. Use the contact us button at the top of the show. 
uh, excuse me, at the top of the website, or you can do as Door did, leave us a voicemail. You can do that by calling 559 am anywhere in the continental North America, uh, or you can just send me a WAV file, or not a WAV file, an MP3 or an OGG or whatever you like uh, from anywhere else, and, and we'll do that. Uh, or you can uh, use the web, the call us widget at the top of the page, and Google Voice will call you if you're too lazy to even dial the phone. Uh, we love hearing from you, and next week, our 100th episode. Let's have some really good 100-episode listener feedback. Um, that would be cool. I don't know. We're not going to have a theme. We're not going to go make a big deal out of it, uh, but it is our 100th episode. So maybe uh, maybe it'd be a good idea for you guys to write in, call in, and just tell us like your favorite memory from the last 99 episodes of, of Everyday Linux. That'll be cool. Uh, and we do yeah. need a podcast for that. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, wow. Uh, see, this is what happens it made, it when... Made, it made more sense in my head. I'm sorry. I apologize. This is what happens <laughs> when we don't record on our regular night. We're, we're just off. We're off. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it was a Saturday night recording, and that went a little weird. And uh, and here on a Monday night recording, you never know. Uh, so I, I'm going to call it, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.